open your Bibles with me this evening. Turn to Romans 6, where we just were, and then turn over two chapters to Romans 8. We're going to be in Romans 8 this evening, Romans 8, 18 to 25. I had a start in Romans 6 because really we will find ourselves this evening in a section of Romans that starts in Romans 6 and goes through Romans 8. It's a section that is focused on uh, the idea of sanctification, who we are in Christ and growing in that and living in that reality. And so as we work our way through our passage, we'll, we'll tie back to the beginning there at Romans 6 and the, um, the idea of we have been raised with Christ, that life that is ours. So join me here, Romans 8, 18 to 25. I'll read the passage, and then we'll pray and jump in. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this evening we do rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And even as we just sing, as we are here, and as we rejoice, as we sing of our Redeemer, so our hearts long for glory. We long to see heaven, to see all the promises that you have made fulfilled, to rejoice together with a choir from every tongue and nation and people and tongue. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, in this hour, we pray that you would give us grace that you would work through your word, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would be honored in all that is said and done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The state motto of South Carolina is a Latin phrase. I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's Dum Spiro Sparrow. It means, while I breathe, I hope. While I breathe, I hope. I remember as a young man seeing that, while I breathe, I hope. Seeing that on South Carolina license plates. All different kind of of South Carolina memorabilia. That was the phrase, that was was our phrase, that is South Carolina. While I breathe, I hope. I remember as a young man, as I saw that, I remember it hit me one day, like, wow, that's kind of a cool phrase. That's inspiring. That's a good thing. While I breathe, I hope. It's a phrase that encourages perseverance. 
But when you really step back and you examine that phrase, you realize that it's not inspiring at all. In fact, rather than inspiring, it is quite burdensome. The phrase, while I breathe, I hope, it places an end date on hope. It places all the burden on the present. All the responsibility, the weight of progress, the hope of success is placed on you, the individual. I will keep plodding along and I will keep hope alive until I stop breathing. But then what? Death is the ultimate enemy. Death is the one who steals hope. Because at death, all hope is gone. All progress is brought to an abrupt hope, to an abrupt halt. While I breathe, I hope, implies that when I stop breathing, all hope is lost. In reality, there is truth to the statement from the perspective of an unbelieving world. For those who do not know Jesus Christ, their only hope is in this life. To them, death is the ultimate enemy. It is the end of all hope. But to those of us who are in Christ, our hope is not in this life, but we look beyond this life. We glory in the resurrection, and and we can proclaim, not while I breathe, I hope, but while my Savior lives, I hope. But what do we mean by hope? It's a word we use a lot, hope. What do we mean? This evening I want to focus on that word. Here in this passage, I want to focus on that little word, hope. What are we hoping in? What are we hoping for? In this passage we'll see that our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that our hope is for future glory. Death is not the end for the believer. We'll see that this future glory is the climax of of God's work in us. It is the completion of our salvation. We'll rejoice together in the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, we're jumping into the middle of an argument here in Romans 8. As you're well aware, Romans is a, is a book written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to the church at Rome. Paul's purpose in writing the book of Romans is to introduce himself to the believers at Rome and to expound to them the deep truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned we find ourselves now in the midst of a, a section of Romans that starts in Romans 6 and goes all the way through the end of Romans 8. The main focus of this section of Romans is God's sanctifying work in those who are in Christ. It is a call to us to live as those who have been redeemed. To live with resurrection hope. Live like you have a future. As you come to Romans 8, it begins with the glorious proclamation, there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on in Romans 8, 15 to 17 to to explain that those who are in Christ were, were not just free from condemnation, but we are even adopted children of God, even heirs with Christ. Now 
These are glorious truths. But it brings a question. What does it look like to live with resurrection hope, to live as a child of God in a fallen world? It's at this point in Romans 8 that an interesting word is introduced. As you look at Romans 8, 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. But the verse doesn't stop there. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's the introduction of the interesting word, suffering. It's a word that leads right into Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This verse here, Romans 8.18, is really the foundation on which the rest of Romans 8 is built. Paul is dealing with and reconciling two realities here. The reality of present suffering and the reality of future glory. The first thing that we see is a call to look to the future. Where Paul deals with these two realities. Look to the future. Verses uh, 18 to 23. He deals with the idea of suffering here. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. The topic of suffering, it's a heavy topic. It's not a topic that any of us are, are thrilled to talk about. And yet we must admit that it is a reality. Life in a fallen world is difficult. If you're like me, when you hear the word suffering, your mind jumps to extremes. Immediately, uh, my mind goes specifically to suffering for the sake of the gospel. Those who have lost their uh, freedom, their homes, their, their lives even, for the sake of the gospel. But what Paul really has in mind here is not just suffering for the faith. That's definitely included. But what he has in mind here is, is really suffering that comes with just life in general. Life is hard. We all experience suffering in different ways. Some of you deal with chronic pain. Whether it's from sickness, disease, the effects of aging. Many of us know the pain of losing a loved one. The fear of financial struggles. The heartbreak of strained relationships. Some of you struggle with mental illness, or you're, you're haunted by traumatic experiences, or you suffer from crushing anxiety. We all suffer. Suffering is a reality. I think so often we, we look at these, these truths in the Bible, especially Romans 8, where we're reaching these, these heights of doctrine, and we're rejoicing in what is ours in Christ. And we almost think, but that doesn't apply to, to real life. 
Real life is difficult. Real life hurts. And brothers and sisters, Paul does not deny that. Paul is not looking at life through rose-colored glasses. Paul himself knew suffering. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29, Paul walks his readers through the many things that he himself has suffered. He says that he's been beaten almost to death. He's been whipped for preaching the gospel. He's been thrown into prison. He has suffered through sleepless nights. He has faced hunger. And so here in Romans 8, as Paul unpacks these, the glorious implications of the gospel, he's not ignoring the very real existence of suffering. In fact, rather than downplaying or dismissing the reality of suffering, Paul here, what he's really doing is he is putting suffering in its proper context. It's the context of future glory. That's what you see here in this verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are real. You are experiencing them. You know this. Yes, some of us experience more suffering than, than others. But we all know the struggle of life. Yet he doesn't just stop there. That, that Yes, suffering happens. But nobody says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What is this glory of which Paul speaks? In the context, I think it's clear that the glory of Romans 8.18 is the promised glorification of Romans 8.17. 8.17 says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer, that we may be what? glorified. And as he gets to verse 18, he says, and by the way, that present suffering, it's not even worth being compared with that glory. That is glorification, the culmination of God's saving work in you. In fact, it looks forward to, to 1 Corinthians 15, 52 to 54, which explains that when this perishable body puts on the imperishable and this mortal body puts on immortality, we long for that day, do we not? Here in Romans 8, 18, Paul ties your present suffering to your future glory in Christ. In fact, in the context of future glory, present suffering really gains eternal purpose. In fact, I think it's safe to say that if you could step back and you could see the whole picture... Just for a second, you step back and you see everything. You see your entire life and all of the suffering that you will endure. And then next to that suffering, you see the fullness of glory promised to you in Christ. You would not mourn over your suffering. Rather, you would rejoice. In fact, you would joyfully choose to endure the pain because the glory that is coming is far greater than anything that you will endure in this life. I don't have first-hand experience here, but I've been told by reputable sources that pregnancy is uncomfortable at best, and that the process of giving birth is extremely painful. And I have no reason to doubt that. I, I believe it, 100%. But it does raise a question. 
If this is true, if pregnancy is, is uncomfortable at best, and, and the process of giving birth is very painful, then why do women have children? In fact, not only why do they have children, why do many women have more than one child? I think the answer is obvious. It's because the pain of giving birth pales in comparison to the joy that that child brings. It's not even worth comparing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul here is similarly calling us through this passage to see the suffering of this life, no matter what it looks like. No matter what that suffering entails, see that suffering in the context of glory. In the end, it's not even worth being compared. Don't rejoice in the pain, but rejoice in the result. Rejoice in what God has promised and what he is accomplishing in you. Secondly, in verses 19 to 25, we see not only a call to look to the future, but the reality that we live in the present. Look to the future, recognize the pain in this life, but, but then see future glory. See that, that, that pain, that suffering of the present, that suffering of life, the difficulty of life. See it in the context of glory. See what God is doing in you. That that suffering has purpose. But then don't, don't live in the future. See that, recognize that, but, but live in the present. That's what we see here in these verses. Verses 19 to 25. The promise of this future glory, it creates in us a longing for future glory, does it not? You, you read a verse like Romans 8, 18, and your heart longs for that day. In fact, Paul goes on here in verse 19 to recognize that, that not only is that longing in us, but all of creation itself is longing for that day. Romans 8, 19 says, tells us that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The phrase there, the revealing of the sons of God, it connects back to the glory that will be revealed in Romans 8, 18. It is in the end when Jesus has destroyed every rule and authority and power and has delivered his kingdom to the Father. And when all the sons of God, all of those who will believe in Jesus Christ, have been glorified, then all will be made new. And here in Romans 8, 19, all of creation, the whole created order, except human beings, those will be, will be dealt with in a second, but all of the created order longs for this day. In fact, Romans 8, 20 goes on to make clear that all of creation suffers under the effects of sin. Under the, the curse of sin, creation was subjected to futility. Creation is, is limited. It is unable to fulfill its intended purpose because of the curse of sin. We see that going all the way back to Genesis 3, 17 to 19, where thorns and thistles are introduced to creation. Where Adam then is, is cursed to struggle against the creation by the sweat of his brow. In Genesis 3, 17 to 19, because the sin has entered the world where there was no pain, there is pain. Where there was no decay, now there is decay. 
Where there were no thorns, now there are thorns. Where there was no death, now there is death. So here in verses 19 and 20, the the personified creation, if you will, longs for the deliverance that comes with this glorious day. The future glory of the saints. And there at the end of Romans 8.20, moving into 8.21, we see our word once again, hope. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Hope. See, despite the thorns and the thistles and the futility to which creation has been subjected as a result of the fall, fall, there is hope of restoration. There is something that creation looks forward to. In fact, as the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, those of us who are in Christ, so the futility of creation is not worth being compared with the glory and the purpose that will be restored to creation. Paul is telling us here that God is doing something great. And and God is not just at work in his people, but he is at work to restore all of creation. Creation groans under the curse, expectantly looking for this glory. Here in this passage, in these verses, verses 19 to 22, Paul takes our eyes off of our own suffering. Look and see the far-reaching effects of sin. All of creation is suffering under the curse of sin. All of creation longs for deliverance. And yet there's hope. There's hope. Creation's hope here in these verses is not a possibility. It is a surety. Creation is looking forward to a day that will come. It longs for what will happen. What God will do in his timing. In verse 23... Paul connects then the groaning of the hope of creation back to the saints. Just as creation suffers under the curse and and longs for the freedom of the glory of the children of God, so we too long for the glory that God has promised us. Not only that, not only does creation long, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. That word redemption, even as we saw this morning. We are longing for that. Alongside of creation. There's a couple things to note here in verse 23. First, note the role of the Holy Spirit. We also have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a prominent role in Romans 8. In fact, he appears by name 19 times in the verses of Romans 8. In Romans 8, 1 to 11, it is the Spirit who who dwells in you. It is the Spirit who guides you. It is the Spirit who is at work in you for the glory of God. 
As you come then to Romans 8, 15 to 16, it's the Spirit who dwells in us that testifies to our adoption as sons, to the fact that we are heirs with Christ. Then you come here to Romans 8, 23, and it's the Spirit who dwells in us that is the first fruits. Really, this idea of first fruits connects back to the same idea that we just saw in verses 15 to 16 where the Spirit bears witness to our identity, so here he bears witness to our hope. Just as the first apple on an apple tree bears witness to the fact that that tree is actually an apple tree, and not only that, but that there, are more, there is more fruit coming, so the indwelling Holy Spirit testifies to both our present identity, we are children of God, and to our future glorification where God will fulfill all that he has promised. So the presence of the Holy Spirit guarantees the fulfillment of the promise. It is sure he is our guarantee. Note also here in verse 23 what it is that we are waiting for. We already recognize that the future glory for which we wait is the glorification promised in Romans 8, 17. But here in verse 23, the Apostle Paul actually kind of identifies and, and defines that future glory a little bit more for us. What is this glorification? What does it look like? We eagerly wait for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We eagerly wait for those things that are true now in the present in the day when we are in the presence of Christ, when our faith is sight and all that he has promised is fulfilled. The future glory that we long for in Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. In fact, as we already defined it, it is the culmination of God's saving work in you. And we long for that day, just as creation longs to be restored. A few weeks ago, Chris and I had the opportunity to take the kids on a trip for spring break. We went to the Omaha Zoo for a, few, for a, a day. And uh, we kind of made a mistake. We told the kids ahead of time that we were going. And if you have little kids and you tell them something like that ahead of time, that's all they talk about. And so for days before we went, all they were talking about was going to the zoo. All they were talking about, really, even more than going to the zoo, was the pool at the hotel we were going to stay at. That, that's all they were focused on. For days. And really to the point of annoying. They were eager in their anticipation. You see, it wasn't if we were going to the zoo, but when. We were definitely going. We had booked a hotel. I mean, we drove all the way there. We got a hotel. We were going. We promised our kids that we would take them. And yet, in the meantime, the kids were overcome with longing. They were groaning under the weight of anticipation until my promise to them was fulfilled. And we jumped in the pool at the hotel and we went through the, zoo, the, the gate at the zoo. It's kind of a silly illustration, yet I think that the childlike anticipation of my children 
beautifully captures the longing of the saints for future glory that is promised to us in Christ. It is sure. Is your heart longing for it? Do you long for that day? Or have you become distracted by the empty promises of the world? Recognize that this world is not your home. See that you are called to something greater, something beyond this life. Remember, that the, remember the cross and rekindle your longing for glory. Secondly, we see your responsibility here in verses 24 to 25. What do we do in the meantime? We are longing for future glory that is promised to us in Christ, and yet we live in the presence under suffering, as we've already recognized. So what do we do in the present? First, you keep hope alive. This hope in which we were saved, as verse 24 says, is the hope of future glory. It is our adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies is described in Romans 8.23. This is what God will do as God has promised. This hope is certain, and yet it is not yet realized. There is coming a day when our faith will be sight. But for now, we hope. We do not yet see our hope realized. We keep our eyes on the future that informs our present suffering. We keep going. We keep living. We come back to the word of God. We keep hope alive. Is that not what we'll be doing in a second as we come to this table? We are keeping hope alive. We are reminding one another, look back to the cross and then look forward to eternity. Keep hope alive. Not only do we keep hope alive, but we wait patiently. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Be patient. Patient hope looks like faithful living. In fact, it is the surety of our hope that informs the faithfulness of our lives. It is because our hope is sure that we can be faithful in the present. In the same way that my faith in gravity gives boldness when I jump, hoping that gravity will bring me back down, so my faith in God gives me boldness to submit to God's purpose, to God's plan, to God's timing. To be faithful now, hoping that God will fulfill all that he has promised to me. And so, brothers and sisters, we wait, fully convinced that God will do what God has said. What does it look like to sing a new song of resurrection hope? As our theme for the year, a new song, what does that look like? It looks like being present in the, being faithful in the present with an eye on the future. Knowing that my hope is not tied to this life, but my hope is tied to eternity. I cling to that. I long for that. And I live faithfully in the present. I don't know what it is that you're facing as you walked in the doors this evening. 
There are many different things that we are facing. There are many different struggles. If there's a hundred people here, there's a hundred different ways in which we are suffering. A hundred different ways. Probably more than that, because each of us is going through more than one thing at a time. But whatever it is, whether it is sickness or fear, whether it is serious issues in your marriage, whether you are frustrated at work, whether you are overcome with anxiety, take comfort in the truth of this passage. Recognize that your suffering has purpose because your hope is sure. Through your suffering, God is accomplishing his purpose in you. God is at work in you. And the worst of the suffering that you will face here cannot begin to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to you. So be faithful through the pain. Be faithful through the fear and the struggle and the insecurity of life because God is faithful. Don't lose hope. Cling to Jesus and the hope that is yours in him. Allow your hope to inform your faith, and to strengthen your endurance for the road ahead. As I mentioned earlier, in just a second, we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's table. As we come to this table, we're not coming in defeat. We're not coming without purpose. We come to this table in Christ, full of hope, looking back to the cross, looking forward to the present. to to the future. This table is a reminder of our hope, a proclamation of the gospel that gives meaning to every detail of our lives. This gospel gives purpose to every detail of your life. Live with resurrection hope. Sing a new song of resurrection hope because your God is faithful. You're suffering. Your joys, the things that you struggle through, your weaknesses, your fears, they all have purpose. They are accomplishing God's will in you for your good and his glory. We're going to sing the song, His Robes for Mine, as we transition to the Lord's table. This evening, as part of his internship, Jordan is going to be leading us in the Lord's table. And I'd encourage you as we sing these these words, his robes for mine, meditate on the truth that you are singing. Meditate on the truth that you'll be proclaiming to one another in just a second as you come to this table. Meditate on your resurrection hope. Let's stand as we sing. Number 279.